Before we begin, this podcast talks about mental health and well-being. So take care while listening. While we hope you enjoy listening to and learning from the podcast, the discussions we have are general in nature and do not take into account your own or your workplace specific needs and circumstances, therefore is not meant to take the place of specialised advice. Welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast. We invite you to join us on this podcast where we talk about wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. In this episode, we talk about whether it's okay to only like parts of your job and what to do if the part of your job you like is the one that you get to do the least amount of time. So hello, we're your hosts, Linda and Danielle. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people and to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the demand for services currently being experienced by the sector and that this impacts everyone in different ways, including contributing to poor mental health and wellbeing outcomes. So we encourage you to be compassionate to yourselves and to others. So Danielle, have you ever been in a job you didn't like? The short answer is yes, I have. I have a longer answer, but I feel like maybe I might save that for now. What about you, Linda? You know, I've had lots of jobs. I left school when I was 15 and worked in a local supermarket and over the years progressed to a hardware store and working in bars before I eventually found my way to working in disability services and studying at uni. So it was a really long and winding road for me. And I can't say, though, that I've ever had a job that I didn't like, like, you know, that I've actively hated. There were kind of good bits and bad bits to all of them. So I think I've been lucky. I came across some research done in 2019 that says that just under half, so around about 44% of Australian workers like their job and almost one in three, so 27% have found the job they love whilst almost one in five people are just sitting on the fence. So they kind of neither like or dislike their job. So less than half of us like our jobs. So it's great that you've been lucky, Linda. So nearly one in 10 people say that they are unhappy in their work, with 5% saying they dislike their jobs, while 4% say they're in jobs that they actively hate. Yeah, and that surprised me. I, and I think I have been lucky. It did surprise me that less than half of us actually like our jobs. I think what you want out of a job changes as you get older. It definitely has for me anyway. And it's more important for me now to work in roles that are meaningful to me um, than when I was younger, when I worked in a, a range of different roles and kind of a job was just a job back then. Yeah, I agree. In my experience, I think nothing is ever all good or all bad. I know um, my expectations too have changed around what I want from a role. Still, there are some elements that I've liked and others, you know, not so much. I remember even when I worked in the hardware store, counting out screws or lugging bags of concrete mix, you know, not my favourite things to do, but getting to know the customers was always good. And there was an older man who came in every Thursday just to chat. His wife had dementia and kind of looking back on it now, I don't think he really had anyone else to talk to because, you know, carer supports weren't as good back in the 80s back then. Yeah, and I think now that I'm thinking about it, Linda, I, like, I think there's been jobs that I didn't like, but there's always been something that I've found that I've been able to like. And mostly that's been the people, whether that be my colleagues or, or customers. 
But, you know, what do you do if you do like some parts of your role and not others? Well, I guess you can leave your job for one thing if it's bad enough. Some of us just need to pay the bills and might feel like we have a great deal of choice about the work we do or there's limited options locally or we're constrained by working hours to fit in with parenting or caring for others. So we may need to stay in a job where we don't always like all parts of it. That's true. And I think then knowing what you need to be able to stay in a job is such an individual choice. You know, I worked with someone who said that for them, as long as the balance was right, so as long as kind of three shifts out of five were good shifts, then they could put up with the other two. Yeah. And of course, it's different for everyone. And what we're talking about here, Linda, is being in a role and doing tasks you don't like, which is really distinct from if you are in a workplace where there is bullying, a poor culture or other things are going on, then you would need to take action to address those. Mm. And if you are in a role where you have a mixed bag of tasks or duties, so, you know, some you like, some you don't, one of the things you can do is job crafting. So the University of Melbourne Centre for Wellbeing Science defined job crafting as the informal ways you can shape your job so that it better aligns with your strengths, your values and your interests. So it's really about being proactive in identifying and modifying your tasks and really moulding them or moulding your role to increase the meaning and the satisfaction that you get from it. So it sounds like, Linda, it's really about getting a better fit and putting your personal signature on your role. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And people who job craft are referred to as crafters. <laughs> I like that. So when, when you think about it, Linda, jobs are mostly designed from the top down. That is the manager or higher up designs what is required of the role. And then this is translated into a job role or a role description with specific tasks and responsibilities. Job crafting is the exact opposite. So it's really what we call a bottom-up way of being proactive and making changes to your job so that it's more in line with who you are, your values, your strengths and your interests. Because after all, you know yourself and you also know the job best. A word of caution here though, job crafting needs to be in line with the organisation's values and your team goals. We can't just ditch an aspect of our role and let it go unattended. No, absolutely. So to use my example from earlier, you know, someone's got to count the screws or lug the concrete mix, but you might have more wriggle room than you think when it comes to certain aspects of your job. So Linda, with job crafting, the benefits, not only will you like your job more, your job satisfaction is likely to go up as will your sense of meaning. And it's really linked with workplace wellbeing, engagement and performance, as well as thriving and resilience and also a reduction in burnout. So lots of good reasons to job craft. And I guess in summary, the research tells us that job crafting puts us or, you know, individually in the driver's seat. So it really enables us to proactively reshape the boundaries of our job and also to change our experience of work. Okay, so we've said what job crafting is, but what does it involve? And there are three different elements to job crafting, and that's task crafting, relational crafting, and cognitive crafting. So let's explore each of these in more detail. So starting with task crafting, this can involve making changes to the number of activities or type of activities you complete. So this might include altering or adding new tasks in line with your strengths and passions. So changing the type of activities you do 
the scope of your role or changing up the sequence in which you undertake your tasks. It might also include changing the amount of time that you dedicate to certain tasks or changing the nature of specific responsibilities just to create a better kind of job person fit. And of course, doing all of this, working within the boundaries of your role and also the specific procedures that you need to follow. If you work in a job role that has lots of autonomy, maybe out in the community, then task crafting can also include requesting resources, which might include asking for feedback or help. So knowing when to speak up and ask for help is really important. Mm. And I think to do that, people actually need to feel safe to put their hand up, you know, and like they're going to be taken notice of. So the organisation will respond and And I think, you know, this is where relationships, so relationships within the team or the group and support that we have around us is really so important. And I think that's where relational crafting kind of comes into play as well. So, yeah, if we move on to relational crafting now, that's about making changes to who you interact with at work. For instance, you might be interested in something another part of your organisation or team are doing. So make an effort to get to know someone who works in that area or you might engage more with workmates who have similar interests. I think one of the positives about virtual meetings and the virtual kind of work world that we've lived in for the last couple of years has been that people who are located in different sites or in different roles have actually been able to get to know each other better and form friendships across the team. So there's been lots more opportunities in some ways for that kind of relational crafting. I was just thinking about an example. I'm not sure which part of job crafting it fits into, but in one of my previous work roles, we had people who worked in corporate areas spend a day with someone who worked in a frontline role to really get them to understand more about the role that somebody else was doing and how that influenced their roles. I think it's a really good example of that relational crafting, I think. And I think it's maybe also can lead into the cognitive crafting a little bit as well, because I think it also fosters perspective taking, doesn't it? Like the more we know about other people and what their roles entail, then I think the more we're able to understand and provide a compassionate response as well. Yeah. And that was part of what the purpose of, you know, that spending the day with someone else was about was to learn how does my role impact frontline workers and for frontline workers how can I utilize my central office or my corporate staff more so how can we work really well together and so cognitive crafting that's about changing the way you view your job so your beliefs about it to in line with what you find personally meaningful. Mm. I, I can imagine in the example that you gave Danielle that somebody from corporate services might actually find more personal meaning in their role if they're able to see how it actually benefits the service users or the clients or the patients. Yeah, and I think there's some research by, is it Kim Cameron? It's got a positive leadership book coming to mind where they've got people who are trying to raise money for charities and then they get them to meet with the people who are going to be recipients of the money that they raise and then they found that those people were able to raise more money than the people who hadn't got to see what the end result was was going to be. Absolutely. I think there's that kind of emotional investment as well. 
And it's kind of interesting because I have an example that's sort of similar. So when I worked managing a disability service, I had contact with the people we supported and their families pretty much on a daily basis. And I went from that role to working in a state government role, which was kind of more removed. And while I really thrived on the strategic planning of the element of the new role, I found that I was kind of too distanced from the positive impact on the people being supported. So, and I really missed that, that sense of, you know, how is what we're doing actually making a difference? So my answer to that was to develop stronger relationships with the funded agencies and then kind of look for opportunities to engage with them in person and, you know, hear stories about the positive difference experienced by the families. So when I was having moments of feeling kind of stymied by the bureaucracy, I'd remind myself of the meaning behind the role and the positive difference we were making so that ultimately we would be improving the lives of the people who were receiving services. Yeah, nice. Great example, Linda. And I think it contains both relational crafting and some cognitive crafting as well and reminding yourself about the purpose behind your work. So the good news is as well then that not only can we apply job crafting to our own roles, but as a team, we can also collaboratively job craft as well. Yeah, so when we think about flexibility in the workplace, we often think of changes or adaptations made at an individual level, as this has historically been the case, but this is now broadening out to shape and redesign work, not only at the individual level, but also within teams and throughout workplaces and embedding that flexibility within the culture. So important. And the Diversity Council of Australia has a guide titled Future Flex, Mainstreaming Flexibility by Design, and that has some great information regarding work design. It is aimed at the retail sector, but, you know, much of the information is generalisable to health and community services as well. So look out in our resources section for the link. And I think flexibility is more important now as we have, like through these COVID times, we've had some people who've continued to attend a work site, for instance, in a frontline role, mixed with people who worked from home and are now coming back into the workplace and still ongoing hybrid models of working as well. Oh, look, I agree. And I think our level of comfortableness from an individual perspective, being around people and back into the workplace is very different. So I think, you know, having that flexibility for people to exercise some autonomy around that is just going to be really important in terms of just that sense of safety in the workplace. So as you know, the good news is that not only does it benefit us in that we get to like our job more and perhaps feel safer in the work that we do, but it also benefits the people we support as well. Yeah, that's right, Linda. There's really great positive benefits for workers and the science shows that, and this is within a nursing home um, study that when employees job craft in their roles, it facilitates their quality of care. And so quality of care is is defined as the extent to which healthcare services provided to individuals and patient populations improve desired health outcomes. And I found this uh, research fascinating, Danielle, because so the uh, increase in quality of care was true for both task crafting as well as relational crafting. And the research was across 23 nursing homes. So it wasn't just a single um, piece of research. And in another study that looked at collaborative job crafting, they found that it was strongly associated with quality of care in early education contexts as well. So irrespective of the people we're 
serving, whether they are preschoolers or more senior people in our community, the research shows that there are benefits for everyone. And it's really interesting research as well, right, Linda, because there's some debate about whether cognitive crafting changing the way we think about or our beliefs about our role should be included in the suite of job crafting approaches because you're not changing anything tangible about the role or the way that you do it. But I remember Rob Baker, I think his name is from Tailored Thinking, talking about a cognitive change that he made. I think he was talking about how he doesn't really like doing one aspect of the role, which I've forgotten what it was, but he knew that doing that was really important for the people that he worked with. So he was able to change the way that he thought about that task and to see the importance of doing it because of that relational care and the relational impact. It is a really important point though, Danielle, because if we think about the episode that we did with Angela Chen about suffering and compassion in the workplace as well, we know that each of us react differently to different you know, events and circumstances. And the way we view things can actually either alleviate our suffering or it can cause us suffering. So the mindset and the way we approach things from a cognitive perspective is just really so important to our experience of, of work. Thinking as well, Linda, about back when I was studying how I don't really enjoy reading journal articles, but I find it quite tiresome to kind of read through some journal articles, but I I do it because I see the importance of understanding the research and knowing, you know, what are the latest findings and then being able to use that information, working with clients or working with people. So I was able to kind of change the way that I view reading journal articles to instead think of it as a way to become more informed about how I can be better in the way that I work with others. So I was able to switch up my thinking about that and actually came to, I wouldn't say enjoy, but (laughs) found it much more purposeful. I guess the takeaway here is that not all jobs have opportunities to task craft or to relationship craft. So cognitive, the cognitive crafting element really enables us to create more meaningful experiences of our work. So in another study as well with healthcare professionals, so these were medical specialists and nurses, they showed an increase in job crafting was associated with greater well-being as well as job performance. So teaching people how to adapt to job demands and resources can have a really positive impact and make us feel like we can gain some control by proactively influencing the characteristics of our role. All right, Linda. So we've spoken about what is job crafting. We've spoken about what it involves. And so people might be starting to think, where do I start? And a good place to start can be just to take stock of where you are now. Think about the things that you do at work and how they relate to your strengths, your passions and your interests. What are the things that you do solo that you can shape compared to the things that you can collaborate on? The Centre for Positive Organisational Scholarship at the University of Michigan has a job crafting exercise. So this is actually an interactive tool that you can purchase and download and it helps you to create a visual plan for redesigning your job. So using the tool, you can look at your job as kind of this flexible set of building blocks. So all of those elements that make up your role and create a visual plan for redesigning your job to better suit you. So again, look out for that in the resources section. Yeah, sounds like a great resource, Linda. And and for if you're in a management or a leadership role, You can open up a conversation about job crafting informally with your team, as well as during staff supervision or or one-on-one catch-ups. And so the University of Melbourne Centre for Wellbeing Science has great resources for managers with some example questions you can ask. And these are things like, 
what would you like to do more of at work or which parts of your role are the most satisfying and even how can you better utilise your strengths in your role or within the wider organisation? Great questions to start a really meaningful discussion, I think. And as Tegan mentioned when I interviewed her for the Positive Leadership podcast as well, start with yourself, you know, irrespective of whatever role you're in within an organisation, starting with yourself and role modelling that behaviour and then having that ripple effect is really great as well. Have the conversation with your team. So, you know, what are their individual as well as the collective aspirations and, you know, how does that align with the workplace goals? So doing some exploration around the individual strengths and whether there's a way that work roles can be allocated, maybe in obvious ways, to match people's strengths and interests. So ensuring equitable distribution across the team. And then once you've identified where you are at, set some goals and make a plan to achieve it. And dip your toe in the water with making some changes, include your teammates and your manager, of course. And just again, just reminding my word of caution that this does need to be done in line with your organisational values as well. It's great to have that workplace or organisational perspective. So train your managers and supervisors in job crafting as well as autonomy support. So how managers and supervisors can help the people they supervise to develop more choice and control in the role that they do so that managers and supervisors can support their teams to get more out of their roles. And, you know, remembering here too that there are also benefits to the workplace. So there are some bottom line benefits and also benefits to the people you support as well. And remember, you're not alone. There are a number of resources such as the Diversity Council of Australia guide that we've mentioned. The Future of Work Institute has some great information on their website. And there is a downloadable job crafting guide on the Tailored Thinking website that is really worth a look as well. Oh, of course you can contact us. You know, we're happy to help you on your job crafting journey as well. Of course. Wow, as usual, Linda, we've packed a lot into this episode, so let's do a quick recap of our natterings. Firstly, we talked about job crafting, what it is, and the three elements of task crafting, relational crafting, and cognitive crafting. We also talked about the benefits to our well-being, performance and resilience, and the research on how it aligns with enhanced quality of care. We then explored ways to enhance job crafting, whether you're an individual looking to align your role with your strengths and reconnect with the meaning behind your role, or a manager looking to enhance your team's wellbeing and performance. And we finished up with listing helpful resources that may assist you on your journey. So we have so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into job crafting. In our show notes, we will have any links that may support your journey toward workplace wellbeing. We want to know what you think, have been inspired by, questions you would like answered or contributions you'd like to make to the podcast. So leave a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au. If you would like to explore how we can help you on your journey, submit a case study or comment for us to include in our podcast. We look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Bye for now.